morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, now I can see everyone in the balcony. All right, so no sleeping anymore up there. Hey, real quick, before we jump into things, a few encouragements. Was the first is that um, the city light that was started in Corretado, Mexico, through one of our own, Areola, who started the coffee shop, who turned into Bible studies, that turned into a church. Today, they celebrate their one-year anniversary. So praise the Lord for that. They are gathering as we speak. Uh, what started with six people has now turned into 30 on a Sunday morning, and they've been able to see people come to Christ, and lives begin to transform. They're able to deliver food to those in need and just be everything that we try to be here as well. And so praise God for that, and it's just an encouragement. Another encouragement um, was our City Light Center in India that's just been doing amazing things. They had an outreach over Christmas, and they, they had uh, 600 people they were able to present the gospel to and had 30 Hindus come to Christ, which is amazing, which is amazing. Uh, like real, like from Hinduism to Jesus, and the Lord is doing an amazing work in them. I hope that encourages your heart, encourages mine, uh, for what God can do this year, but also for what you're a part of and how the Lord wants to continue to work in and through our lives. So today we start our series, our 21 days, called Fasting for Freedom. And for those of you who are new, maybe it's your first time here at City Light, nothing's different to you. For everyone else, you're like, wow, things look different. We used to meet in the middle, and now we have moved the setup here. Let me explain it to you. It's one singular reason for moving things is to open up the altar to open times for response to God. And I believe this to be supernaturally, spiritually important for us to respond to what God is doing in our lives to actually see the breakthrough and the freedom that we want to see in our life. The Bible's full of these kinds of pictures of what we do with our body has an effect on our spirit. The Bible talks so often about the laying on of hands. Why don't you just pray for someone? Well, when you lay your hands on them appropriately, it has a supernatural impact. The Bible talks about lifting up your hands in worship. And you know how that is. Those of you that say, what am I doing? Well, I'm just, I'm just completing. I'm bringing to pass that which, I, which is happening in my heart. I love God. I want to praise him. I don't know what else to do. I have hands. Okay, you know. I, I'm feeling celebratory, thankful, and so I, I lift up my hands. It's a way for me to complete or to bring to fruition that which God is doing in my heart. The same is true with kneeling. And the Bible talks about kneeling prostrate before the Lord, getting onto our knees before God. Well, why does that matter? Well, the Bible also says that to the humble, God gives favor. That the kneeling before the Lord is a sign of humility to which God responds. And so all of these things are realities for us. What I want you to understand is that God has given us means, normal, practical means, that create and that bring to pass and complete, so to speak, spiritual realities that are happening in our hearts. And if we want to experience the maximum freedom in our lives, then we need to use the means God has given us. And so over the last couple months, we've been thinking about this, and it, it seems totally appropriate and I'm really pleading with you, honestly, as we, as we preach and then as we're going to respond through the worship, is to normalize coming to the altar and making it a place where you respond to God, where you get the prayer, the help that you need, or where you just simply prostrate yourself before the Lord in a sign of humility and submission to bring to pass or completion, or better said, to further along that which God did while you were sitting in the seat. I want to see, and in my own life, real change and breakthrough and I believe the Bible has given us certain just regular, ordinary means, like an altar, like other brothers and sisters in Christ, like hands and feet and knees, 
that allow us to make spiritual progress. And so we're going to open up the altar. We want a room at the altar. We're going to have a prayer team down at the altar. And I want to encourage you that as God works in your life, to use it as a way to see God bring supernatural breakthrough in your life. So Jesus said himself in John 8, 32, a verse that's very famous for many of you. He said, whom the Son sets free, can you finish this, is free indeed. Indeed. Jesus says, whoever he sets free is free. And here's what the premise of everything is for what we're talking about. is too often we do not experience the full reality of what Jesus has done for us. We settle for less when Jesus wants to give us more. And instead of settling for less than what Jesus has already accomplished for us, my plea with you is going to be to enter into and to walk in the freedom, the deliverance, the, the transformation, the hope, and the joy, and all the things, the forgiveness that Jesus has already provided for us. So today's message is the starting point for this series. It's called, I Want to Be Free. It's really just the cry of our hearts that we all know and can relate to that sense to say, I just want to be free. I want to be free from certain habits. I want to be free from certain ways of thinking that are plaguing me. I want to be free from certain of these feelings. I want to be free from regret. I want to be free from the things others have done to me that are continuing to cause issues in my current day. I want to be free from particular sin habits. Those of you who are here as Christians, you're trying to follow God. Say, There's so many things about my life that I don't, that aren't holy, that aren't good. I want to be free from that. Whatever it is in that situation, we all have this, this deep desire to say, I want to be free. And what I want to do real quick is, is tag into that to help you realize that if the desire is there within you, it is because you were made to be free. The desire is an indication of what you were made for. You desire freedom because you were made to be free. It's actually an indicator that you were created, that there is a designer in your life, that there's something about you that should match with reality. And the lack of freedom or the lack of change or the lack of uh, deliverance or, or transformation all of those things indicate to you that something is wrong, that it should be different, that things should be better. And therefore, now you and I find ourselves in this position, say, I want to be free. I don't know how to get free. And oftentimes, here's what happens is we settle for not being free. We settle for a lack of change. We settle for little progress. We settle for things remaining the same over and over again because we want to be free, but we feel like it's just not possible. We just can't do it. It's like those of you who ordered presents before Christmas and you wanted them to come, but they weren't delivered on time. This happened to me. I had ordered some Bama jerseys for my boys. I know we lost. Those of you who follow, yeah, yeah, okay. Win some, you lose some. Okay, so I had ordered them some jerseys and I needed it here before Christmas. The website said, if you order before such and such date, your stuff will come before Christmas. So I ordered before the date. And here comes, you know, December 20th, send in an email, don't have a package, do you guys know where it is? December 21st, December 22nd, December 23rd, no response to my email. I begin to succumb to the fact that this is not going to work out. I am not going to get that for which I have hoped for and that for which I have paid money. There was so little response, I became convinced that I was scammed with some random website online and I had just given them my money for no reason. December 25th comes, and there's not the jerseys. Now, we did, I did the thing, you guys know, where you, you print out a picture, you write it down, say, this is what I got for you. How many of you have done that? Say, it ain't here, can't use it right now, but it's a coming, you know. Now for adults, that's okay, you know, you're an adult, you say, I can wait a week. Imagine giving a little kid a, 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 a piece of paper that said you're getting a jersey on it. 
<laughs> you know, that, that was my Christmas, one of my Christmas presents to them. Here's, there's the jersey. Well, I said, okay, look, didn't work out for Christmas, but you know what? We have a big playoff game on January 1st. I'm sure it'll be here by then. I said, okay, great. December 26th, December 27th, December 28th, another email, no response. Another email, no response. Completely convinced I just lost my money by this point. December 29th, December 30th, prayer's up, prayer's not answered. December 31st, <laughs> Lord, I know you can do it. Won't he do it, you know? And here comes January 1st, the big Alabama game, no jerseys. And we watch the game without jerseys. We lose the game. And you know what happens the very next day? The jerseys come in the mail. The day after we watch the game, the day after we lost the game, so there is not another game to wear your jerseys to watch it with. The season is over. I get the jerseys exactly when I no longer needed them. Obviously, they will continue to use them, and hopefully next year things will go better. But isn't that often how our lives feel, and this is why we get so hopeless over time, is what we thought would come our way, things we thought would change, are delayed, or they're not working out for us, and then we begin to believe it's just not going to happen. And that's where you may be spiritually in your life, or where you may just be generally in life. And here's what I want you to understand, is not only do you want to be free, but the biblical reality is that you can be free. You do not have to stay enslaved to old habits, old hurts, you do not have to be stuck in wrong ways of thinking, and you do not have to give up on overcoming certain patterns of sin. What has been does not have to dictate what will be. There is, as we're going to see, a path to real freedom, not just the idea of freedom, not just good vibes about freedom, real freedom, real change, real transformation. There is a path to that. It is available to everyone on the planet, but as we're going to see, it is only found in God. And so if you're here today and you've been trying every other thing to break through in your life, I want you to know it's never going to work and you need to start with God. We have this booklet right here on your seat. So as we walk through these 21 days, I, will, I plead with you to use it. It is made to help you launch from a time together into your daily life to read other scripture about freedom, to reflect, to take notes. And I'm telling you, if you give yourself fully to the process, you're going to experience more change. Okay, I say this all the time, Man's, man cannot live by sermons alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Take this. Go read the scriptures, reflect on your life, write notes, do it with your friends, do it with your family, and get the most out of this series. Also, this has a guide for fasting. So you say, you might say, I don't even know what I'm doing. What is fasting? Well, fasting, very simply, is letting go of something so I can get something better. It's sacrificing something less so I can have something more. It's, it's a, a short example would be uh, giving up lunch so I, I don't have a full stomach, but now I have a full spirit by spending more time with God than I would have otherwise. I replace it. So I don't just not do something. I replace that something with something better. So whether that's social media, and I give that up to spend more time in prayer, or whether that's you know, food, or whatever it might be, there's a list of things you can fast from and ways to fast. It's gonna help you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. You have no experience with fasting? Hey, no problem. There's baby steps you can take. Do little things. Learn how to do it. It's gonna be helpful to you. And once again, if you wanna see change, you gotta commit to the process. So use this book, it'll bless you. Okay, now it's time for the word of God. Go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go. Let's go. All right. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3. We just have three verses, 16 through 18. We're going to spend four weeks on three verses. That's how significant these verses are. So I'm going to read them to you. Verse 16 says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're going to stop there. And what this passage does, I'm going to give you first a big overview summary, and then we're going to take the first step today. This passage lays out the path to freedom. And you'll see it in your booklet, but I'm going to put it on the screens now. I have an acronym for you for the path to freedom we're going to walk through it, and then we're going to do the first step today. So what's the path to freedom? Well, it's, it's this, free. F is freedom is found in God. As we're going to see, you can't ever engage in a process of change until you start with God. Freedom is found only in God. This is what it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, so how do I engage with God? R is to repent from sin and to run to God. The way I'm going to find God, engage with God, to get that freedom is I need to turn from the anti-God, the sin, the things that are against God in my life. I need to run from that, return, or repent from that. And I need to run to God, as it says, beholding the glory of the Lord. I need to see his face. I need to spend time with him in his word. I need to be in his presence. I need to be with his people. I need to run to God. That's R. The next step then is E, experience transformation. As I go to God... And specifically, as I turn from sin and run to God in his presence, as I prioritize those two ways of engaging with God, I will, by necessity, experience transformation. A byproduct of these behaviors will be change. And then E, the last step, is after this, I need to engage with God in the daily process of change. What we're going to see, there are two things at work in change. One is a singular moment or an act of God or a supernatural breakthrough that can happen in a moment, together with God, as you respond to God's word, and God can mark you, set you free, and change you, but also along with that is you joining in the daily process of living that out and continuing it. So we seek both things. Can God radically change my life in a moment? Yes, I expect that, I ask for that, I live for that. Also, at the same time, must I engage in daily steps and details and ordinary things of life to continue and to live in what God has done? Yes. And we're going to see how freedom plays itself out in those two ways, God breaking through and then me joining God in a daily process. And so if that's the path to freedom. It's found in God. You have to repent from sin and run to God. You will experience transformation, and then you need to engage with God in a daily process of change. So in light of that, the first step is today. It's the F in the acronym, freedom. Freedom is found in God. So the most essential question if I want to be free is say, where is freedom? Where do I get it? If I want something, I know where to get it. Verse 17 says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not a complicated sentence. Wherever the Lord is, freedom is there. It's very simple. You know this, you have to be in the right location to get something. How many of you, like me, in the world of online ordering, have ordered something and gone to the wrong place to get it? You say, I ordered a drink from Starbucks, but just in my, I just wasn't thinking, I went to the other Starbucks. There's a bunch of Starbuckses, you know, I don't know which one. I thought I went to one, you show up to the other, say, I don't know where my drink is. They're like, we don't have your drink, you crazy person. 
This is your fault, not mine, you know? And I realized, oh, I have done this at Starbucks. I have done this with Tropical Smoothie. You know, there's different options. I, I, you, you order something from one place, you show up, you're in the wrong place, you can't get it. You have to be in the right location. Last night, I had a family emergency, which it wasn't like a safety thing, but it was a family emergency. And it always happens Saturday night, okay? Pray for your pastors on Saturday nights. That's like the devil's time, okay? He's like, I'm going to mess with you tonight. And so I had a big thing. Had, blah, blah, blah. I had to run to the hardware store, and I just got in my car. I went to the closest hardware store as fast as I could get there. And I show up, and it's dark on the inside, and the door is closed, and it's locked, and the store is closed. I cannot get that which I came for. I had to get in my car, Google, and say, where's the next one? I found out that, that there was one over there. I went to it, and I got what I needed. Now, what could have happened is if I would have checked ahead of time and taken time to check ahead of time about where I'm going and what I'm going to get when I get there, I could have avoided that mistake and gone to the first place the first time. This is so often what happens in our life. And what I'm trying to do today and in this series is get you to check ahead of time to see if you go to a certain thing, if you're going to get that which you went there for. And to help you avoid how we live is this place is closed, can't find freedom there, I'm going to try over here. This place is closed, can't find freedom there, can't find joy there, can't find forgiveness there, can't get rid of my regret there, can't cover my shame there. And we keep trying different places, and what the Bible wants to do is tell you exactly where to go to get it. To stop wasting your time showing up to closed stores that can't give you what you need spiritually, and to go to the source, which we're going to see is Jesus. The source is God. Freedom is found in God. And the good news is that freedom is found in God, therefore it's available to us because God has made himself available to us. Here's what you don't need to be free. You don't need some kind of magic trick. You don't need a habit stack. You don't need a self-help book. You don't need a new body, a new job, or a new spouse. You need one thing, and that's Jesus. Well, simplify your entire life to say the solution is not where you keep looking for it. The solution is in one thing in one name. It's in Jesus. And you will not be free or happy or forgiven or any of those things until you go to Jesus for it. Freedom is found in God. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Which is true in every sense. You say where the spirit of the Lord brings light, there is freedom from darkness. Where the Spirit of the Lord brings understanding, there is freedom from confusion. Where the Spirit of the Lord brings forgiveness, there is freedom from sin and shame and guilt. Where the Spirit of the Lord brings comfort, there is freedom from fear. Where the Spirit of the Lord shows up, there is the freedom that is needed for the particular situation. God has the answer to every conceivable problem. And if the Spirit is there, then you have what is needed to overcome whatever obstacles in front of you. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is the resource that you need. And as we see in the Scriptures, the Spirit is given to everyone who trusts in Christ. That's why this passage is sandwiched like this. So the answer is in the middle, the change, the transformation. But verse 16 starts with, but when one turns to the Lord. That's the kickstarter for the change. And then when the change happens in 17, 18, verse 18 ends with a reminder, and this comes, it says, from the Lord. So when one turns to the Lord, all of these options become open to him and her. Freedom, transformation, forgiveness. And when you get those things, look back and remember, this came from the Lord. This was God's gift to us. Freedom is found only in 
God, and it's available through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to offer to many of you today, whether they're here for the first time or seeking Christianity out, to say, the solution is in what Jesus has done for you, his life, death, and resurrection. Freedom is only found in God. So that's the first thing. You say, where do I get it? Okay, that seems pretty basic. Now, what kind of freedom is available? We're going to spend a little time here. You say, okay, freedom's found in God. Great. Well, what should I expect? What kind of freedom are you talking about? What's the experience I should expect to have? Freedom is found in God. What kind of freedom? Three adjectives for this. What kind of freedom should I see? Relational, transformational, and available. Here are the three types of freedom, three kinds or descriptive adjectives for what kind of freedom should I experience. It's relational, transformational, and available. Now, to get into this text real well, I'm going to do some big picture Bible theology with you. So hang with me. I think it's going to be very helpful, and it's going to be very insightful for you to understand practically what it means for your life. So look in verse 16, it says, when one turns to the Lord, and then it has this phrase, the veil is removed. Now, you know, if you're reading this, or you don't really read the Bible much, or you don't have any Christian background, or maybe you don't understand much about this, say, what is that? What is the veil is removed? What does that mean? What does that have to do with my life? Well, if I had time, I'd read the whole chapter to you. I don't, so I recommend you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's an entire argument in the whole chapter, so you kind of need all the pieces. I'm going to do my best to summarize for you what's going on. So the context of the passage is basically showing us um, the new covenant, what Jesus has done by the work of the Spirit to begin a relationship with his people and how that's different from how he had worked previously in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. So there's a shift from how God had worked in the Old Testament to how God has worked now in the New Testament. And there's a shift in this, and it's through, particularly through Jesus. And then the illustration is that the problem with humanity is that there is a veil over our eyes And we don't have spiritual sight to see who God is or what God is like and to respond to him appropriately. When we do not see God rightly, then we don't see anything else in the world rightly. So if our view of God is off or clouded or blinded or barriered, you know, then our view of reality is barriered. We don't see anything right. That's why we make bad decisions. Because we're not seeing the world at, at all like it is. And so now he uses this illustration with Moses because Moses had a unique reality to his life. So you go back and say, how did the people engage with God through Moses? And Moses would spend time with God, the Bible says, face to face. And Moses would go into what's called the tent of meeting. And he had a veil on, I'll explain, and he would actually take the veil off to be with God. Exodus 34, 34 says this. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. So the idea is now he takes the veil off to go be with God and to engage with him in a personal relationship, to hear from him, to speak back to him. And then he has to put the veil back on because the glory was too great for the people to be able to handle. They couldn't look at Moses when he had encountered such glory, they wouldn't be able to handle it. And so now he has to put a veil over his face as a barrier between the glory, the manifest glory of God, and the people because of their sin. And Moses has a unique privilege of being able to remove the veil and be with God. And then the Bible takes that illustration, the example, it moves it now into our time and says we still have the same spiritual problem. There's a veil over our sight. The glory of God is being uh, manifested, but we can't see it. There's a barrier between us and God. But unlike Moses' time, the, the privilege that only one person had in this particular time, Moses, 
is now available to every person. So the move from what God was doing in the Old Testament to what God is doing in the New Testament is that that face-to-face relationship with God that was a privilege for a few is now available to all. Jesus has come and he has bridged the gap between us and God. The cross of Jesus and his resurrection gives every human being the ability to have access to God and to form and enjoy a face-to-face personal relationship with God himself. The barrier has been lifted and the opportunity for relationship with your creator has been given. This is the example of 2 Corinthians. This is what he's trying to explain to them. And when the gospel comes in and a person responds to the gospel, it says the veil is removed and now the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and it changes everything about our ability to relate to God. I call this relational freedom. Now, this is why that whole thing matters to you is that relational freedom is what leads to transformational freedom, okay? Relational freedom is what leads to transformational freedom, which means that I cannot change in my life until I begin a relationship with Jesus. I cannot act more like Jesus if I don't have Jesus. And I can't change apart from that. And so the foundation point of change and transformation is a relationship. It all starts with a relationship. And those of you who are in Christ, you know that. To say, that's exactly how my life, I started in a relationship with God. But here's what we do, is we tend to, after beginning a relationship with God, we begin to rely on ourselves to change, to be holy, to make progress, to see transformation. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that what started as a relationship only continues as a relationship. And to the degree that you are flourishing, growing, and prioritizing your relationship with Jesus will be the degree to which you can experience change in your daily life. You will never change or grow beyond your capacity to have a relationship with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So now, transformational freedom, we try that through other things while neglecting the one thing that will bring it about, which is prioritizing my access to God. That now I can have a relationship with Jesus. I have been given freedom to be with God. Jesus has paid for my sin. It is no longer a barrier between me and God. And I have access to the great one, to him. And now as I have access to God, spending time with him and growing in my relationship to Jesus, then the byproduct of that is I experience transformation in my life. But so often we try to do other things to see transformation while we neglect the one thing that matters, which is our relationship. So to those of you who are here and you're seeking these things out, I want you to understand you will never change like you need to or find what you're looking for until you start with Jesus. You're just closed door after closed door. You're wasting your time. The only thing that you need primarily is freedom in your relationship with God. And from that standpoint, then you can grow in freedom in your life, but you can never flip it around. You don't get better and become more free from certain things so God can now accept you. You receive what God has done for you. He accepts you because of Jesus, and then you take the power from that and you walk in freedom. You need to receive and start with Jesus. And to those of you who are walking with Jesus, remember, how you started is how you began. You will never progress beyond your level of relationship to Jesus. It's relational freedom that leads to transformational freedom. Another way to say this is that it's freedom with God 
that allows us to be free from sin. So I'm saying it's my freedom with God in my relationship to God as now my father. I have a, I have, I'm in family relationship with God. He loves me. He doesn't hold my sin against me because of Jesus. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be worried about what he'll think about me. I don't have to be worried about any things. I, like a little kid with their dad, can run to him. He will receive me and love me. It is this freedom I now have with God that allows me now to live free from sin. And until I experience and enjoy the freedom I have with my relationship with my father, I will never have the power to walk free in sin. And what we do is we try all the other things, the accountability measures, the different choices, the different habits. We try all these other things, but we're not building them on top of the foundation of our relationship to God. And without prioritizing your relationship to God, all the other efforts are vain and useless because they're empty. Because the source of the power is not the practice, it's the person, it's Jesus. And so relational freedom is what leads to transformational freedom. How you started is how you will begin. And even to the saints out there who've been walking with Christ 50 years, this is a challenge to you to say, hey look, it is your experience or your practice does not determine your nearness to Jesus. It is now going from the point to say, I need to pursue my relationship with Jesus at the same level and degree as I ever have if I want to continue to change. And this is also helpful to those of you who say, I've been a Christian for two days, or I'm new to all this. I don't know how this is ever going to happen or how I'm going to make progress. And listen to me. You have just as much power to change as the saint who's been walking with God 50 years. The power is not in your ability or experience. The power is in the name of Jesus. Don't rely on anything else. It's not going to work. It's not going to help you. It's not going to do it. And so you should have great confidence to say, I'm new to this, but God's not new to this, and he's got this. And if I press into my relationship with him, which anybody can do through the word of God, through the people of God, through worship, through prayer, through all these different things, through obedience, as I press into that, then God is going to be the one to set me free. Remember, remember. If your freedom didn't start with you, it doesn't continue with you. If you didn't save yourself, you cannot sanctify yourself. If you weren't the solution to begin with, you're not the solution now either. You have never progressed from one thing to the other. It's the same thing I needed the moment I believed is the same thing I need now as Jesus. And as I press into that, then I begin to not only enjoy my relationship with God, which fills me, but then I begin to experience the power of transformation. So it's relational freedom that leads to transformational freedom. It all starts with Jesus. Your freedom with God allows you to be free from sin. Now, what other kind of freedom do I see here or experience? Well, I want to be clear. It's obviously freedom, not bondage. You say, well, that, that's obvious. Let me give you a verse for this. It's very important. Romans 8.15 says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive freedom itself. You do not receive bondage, you are released from your bondage. Here's what you understand. The spirit you received upon believing in Christ was given to secure your status with God, 
to secure your place in God's family and to secure your future forever. The intention was to set you free and to allow you now in a place of security with God to enjoy your freedom. No longer worried about God's judgment, no longer, uh, no longer afraid of God's wrath, no longer ashamed at your behavior. All of these things have been covered by the blood of Jesus and the spirit comes and he doesn't put you in bondage to say, okay, you're still not good enough or you need to do this better or here's, no, no, no. The spirit comes and he releases you as a child with the father to say, now I am free. It's a spirit of freedom, not a spirit of bondage. Well, freedom, freedom from what? And here's another, another, this is very important theologically, okay? Because this is the whole argument of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is it's a freedom from the burden of the law to find life in the spirit. And this is what is happening to you as a Christian. It's undergirding all the things you might be experiencing on the outside. And this is what needs to happen to some of you. So here, here's, here's what the explanation of this. So the bondage and the fear of our life isn't just to sin, but it's because we're under the law. So the law of God, which is not only written in the Bible, but also Romans 2 says, written on our hearts, reveals to us that we are not what we should be. Everyone knows this, even people who aren't Christians, that there is something wrong and I do not live according to how I was supposed to live. I have a guilty conscience, I have broken the law. It is so obvious that many of the laws, even in a secular world, we all agree upon because it has been written on our hearts. And so the idea now is the law of the Old Testament, the way we should live, is inherently good. It's the law of God. It tells you what is righteous. But it leads to bad for us because we reject the law, dismiss the way of God, and choose our own law. And therefore, the law is good, but it's burdensome to us because it reveals how bad we are. And it creates the reality that we have to confront that I do not live the way God has asked me to live. That's what the law does. The law is good but it's burdensome and leads to death because it reveals our badness. Now, this is the argument of 2 Corinthians. Let me show this to you. So earlier on in chapter three, it says, verse four, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, get this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Here's the verse. Who made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but by the spirit. So the letter being the law, the law of God as revealed in the Old Testament. For what happened? For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so here's, here's the, the Bible's teaching us the reality that we all know in, in existence. And he's, they're explaining it from its foundation. To say the law and the old covenant reveal the things that we do wrong. The law of God reveals our inability to keep it. And therefore, it makes us guilty because we know that we ought to do things we don't do and we do things we ought not to do. Therefore, we become guilty. And because of the law, we are burdened by a guilty conscience. Even those who don't know Christ yet, still because the law is written on our hearts, experience a guilty conscience when we do things that we know we ought not to do. There are exceptions, obviously, in some ways. But the, the normal reality for us is to say, man, there's a, there's a guilty conscience that comes into my life. Now, I, I want to I point out to you that the only reason you'd ever feel guilty about something is if you were made to be something else. You know what I'm saying? An evolutionary process doesn't produce guilt. 
can't produce a guilty conscience. A big bang can't produce a guilty conscience. The, the fact that you have a guilty conscience is actually an indicator to you that you were made by a creator for something different than what you're doing now. It's a, it's a flashlight, it's a check engine sign. Say something's not wrong, something's not right. And it's supposed to lead you now to, to Jesus. Because now we have a guilty conscience, we suffer from shame because of our decisions, and if we're confronted with the word of God, we rightly have a terror of God's righteous judgment. This is what the law does. It makes us guilty, it shames us for our behavior, and it puts us under God's judgment. This is the oppression we face under the law. It was intended to lead to life because it's good, but it leads to death because we reject it. And this is the problem with every human being. And so under being under God's judgment, under the law, we choose to disobey the law, and because punishment is necessary for those who disobey the law, which we understand in regular world, therefore it leads to death. And that's the problem that we face before God. Now, this is the explanation of how does God fix that problem? The ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the new covenant shows us that where we went wrong, Jesus did what was right. Where the law reveals my inability to keep it and to be perfect, Jesus comes and reveals his ability to do everything he's supposed to do and to do it all with the right motives. Where I fail under the law, Jesus comes and succeeds. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, I have come not to abolish the law, not to get rid of it, but to fulfill it, to be everything you and I were supposed to be. And so now Jesus comes, and where we go wrong, he goes right. And then he dies on the cross and rises again. And here's what happens. You say, well, how do I get rid of my guilty conscience? Well, it's not by doing less bad things. You give your guilty conscience to Jesus, and he nails it to a cross. You say, how do I get rid of my shame? You don't do it by just trying to forget or put your head in the sand. Or, you, you give your shame and regret to Jesus, and he nails it to the cross. This is how we handle it. How do I get free from these things? The terror of God's righteous judgment. I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be, and I know I can't become that which I'm supposed to become on my own. And Jesus says, where you fall short, I come through. Where you can't, I can. What you did not do, I have done. And this is the good news of the gospel, that through Jesus, I, my guilt and my shame, the punishment that I deserve, all of this is removed from me. It is placed on the cross. Jesus pays for it. And now in him, I have a new life and a new heart. We were once, understand this, we were once victims of our own bad behavior. But now we are victors because of Christ's perfect behavior. So where I was a victim because of my own bad choices, I now become a victor, not because I made better choices, but because Jesus did it for me. Because Jesus made the perfect choice every second of the day for his entire life. He perfectly pleased God. Everywhere I fall short, Jesus comes through. And now instead of relying on myself to get better, I give myself to Jesus and he changes me and he gives me what I can't get for myself. This is the good news of the gospel. Romans 8, 2 says it this way. It says, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. This is the goodness of the gospel that what Jesus has done by the cross and the resurrection and the new life in the spirit has now set us free 
from the law of sin and death that told us that we couldn't do that which we knew we ought to do, and Jesus comes and he does it for us. Like I said, if you were not the solution at the beginning, you're not the solution now either. If it didn't start with you, it doesn't continue with you. The answer has always all along been Jesus' righteousness and his life in your place. So this is why 2 Corinthians 3.12, in light of all these wonderful things, you say, what does that mean for my life? Okay, great. I understand the theme of the Bible a little bit better. I get it. Okay, I understand the gospel. What does this mean for me in my life? Well, here's, here's a verse. As the, in the argument of 2 Corinthians 3, he says, since we have such a hope, he says, we are very timid. He says, since Jesus has done something so amazing, we live by great fear every day. He says, no, since, since God has broken through and changed and done everything I couldn't do, then we are very worried about the punishment God's going to bring upon our lives for our negative behavior. We are very anxious. We are very distressed. We are very afraid. We are very uncomforted. No, what does he say? He said, since Jesus has done something so amazing and we have hope in him, not in ourselves, we are very bold. As we live with great freedom and authority and excitement, we are righteous in Jesus because of what he's done for us. We do not live afraid of God and his terror and his punishment because we have been made right with God. We become very bold. We become very free. We become different. This is what he wants to make available to you. Now here's, here's a little statement now to help you understand all of this to shove it down into your daily life. So in light of all of that truth, here's the reality you need to say to yourself every day as we walk through this series. If you are in Christ, I do not need to get free, but I get to live free. This is a complete reversal of your way of thinking. I do not need to get free, but I get to live free. Now, if you are not in Christ, the only way to experience freedom is to get free through his life, death, and resurrection. And you need to get free because you are in bondage to sin. But if you are in Christ, what he has already done for you is sufficient Galatians 5.1, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So you need to get rid of the vocabulary that says, I need to get free. That's a bad statement, and it's not true. Because you are already free in Jesus. And so instead of trying to overcome, rely on the one who has overcome. Instead of relying on your own discipline, rely on the death of Jesus Christ. He has done all of these things for us. I do not need to get free. Just get rid of those words. Just challenge each other and say, oh, I just want to get free. I just, no, 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 no. You don't need to get free. In Christ, you get to live free. You, something has already been given to you. And then it's crazy to go and look for it or try to accomplish something else. So because Jesus has already fully and finally set you free, and because he's done this by his work alone, not your own, Therefore, the position you are in now is the same. You are free. There are no caveats, no qualifications. You are free in Jesus. And you need to work the other way around. Instead of trying to get free, you need to live free. Now, I'm saying, man, this is so important. I, you got to get this. So I try to think of an example that will help you relate this to your everyday life. Now, imagine 
Some of you who've done this, I do this a lot. How many of you have bought something that you already had at your house, but you didn't know you had it or you lost it? I do this a lot with books. Or I see a book, I think, that's a great book. I buy it, and then like six months later, I find another copy of it. And I realize now I have two copies of this book. I bought something I didn't realize I already had. Or how many times you thought, I really need this tool. And you go to the store because you can't find it in your house. And then, you know, two months later, you're shuffling through the garage. And you're like, oh, here it is. This is what I was looking for. And how many times have you bought something that you didn't know you already had, that you had forgotten you already had, or that you simply couldn't find when you already had it? Now, this is so often how we live in our life spiritually. It's trying to get something and even pay for it when we already have it. And you're wasting your time shopping online and trying to look for it when it's already yours in Jesus. So instead of trying to get it, you need to look at yourself and say, I got it. I got it. I don't have to get it. I got it. Not because I'm awesome, but because Jesus is awesome for me. This changes how you operate. It changes how you try to be free. It changes how you live. It's a relational freedom. It's a transformational freedom. And it's available freedom. It's available because now it is accessible in you. So what has happened? When we talk about location, where is freedom? It's in God. Okay. Well, if you're in Christ, where does the Spirit live? In you. Therefore, you are the location for the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where is he? He's in you. He lives in you. It's a gift by God. So wherever you are, there's freedom there. Why? Because God is there. You don't have to be in any particular situation. You don't have to change anything about other things in your life. You say, wherever I am now, through the new covenant, through what Jesus done, I am the location for the Holy Spirit of God. And if I'm here together or if I'm on an island all by myself, I am the location through Christ for the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Therefore, freedom is not something I need to get. It's something I already have. You need to change the way you're thinking about that. It's relational. It's transformational. It's available. Now we're going to respond to God. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up. I want you to consider now this one final thing. And we're going to kind of talk about this more over the next few weeks. Say, where is it? It's in God. What is it like? It's relational. It's transformational. It's available. Well, how do I live in it now? What do I, <clears throat> what do, I do? And here's a phrase for you to consider, especially those of you who are um, Christians or even just religious people. Here it is. Living in freedom requires moving from religious obligation to spirit motivation. The, the old covenant to the new covenant is a move from religious obligation to spirit motivation. Obligation says I have to. Motivation says I want to. Obligation says there's something on the outside pressing in on me, forcing me to align my life with that. Motivation says there's something from the inside that's coming out of me that's allowing me to align my life with reality. One is external, one is internal. And God now, as we says, we don't live by the letter of the spirit, the letter of the law, but by the spirit. Because a life of religious obligation is empty and devoid of power. But a life of spirit motivation, granted to you by Jesus, is full of transformation power. And so as you consider these 21 days, you need to consider how you can make the move from 
a life of religious obligation to spirit motivation and prioritizing your relationship with God. So I want you now to close your eyes. I'm going to pray in a second. And now we need to respond to God. I want to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come down front. There's going to be people down front that can pray with you. If you're here and you need to respond to God in any way, which is really all of us to some degree or another, the Lord's been working in your heart and in your life. If you need prayer, come down front and pray. If you just need to lay at the altar humbly before the Lord and let the Lord continue what he started in you, come do that. But I encourage you to make good use of this time now as we respond to God, to use your feet, your body, your hands, your position to help complete or further along that which the Lord has been doing in your spirit. If you need prayer, we'll come and lay our hands on you. The Lord will work through that. But wherever you're at, you say, I need freedom from this. I need to start my new year this way. I need to change this. I'm asking for God to do this. Or if you're here and say, I don't even know Jesus yet, and I can't go anywhere else until I meet him. Whatever it is, you need to come down front and respond to God. And make good and bring to completion that which God is stirring in your spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you've granted us. And now I pray as we respond to you that you would mark our lives, that there would be supernatural breakthrough and change, and that we would enjoy what you've already done for us in Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll respond to God.